find in the book of Hebrews is this. Now that's just mean. That's just mean. Wait, what? Yeah, okay. As I was saying, one of the most intriguing things about the book of Hebrews is the way the author talks about some of the most famous events and most famous people in the Bible. What we do is we see their individual stories of faith as part of a much larger story. And in fact, it's really unusual because in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews covers hundreds of years of history in just 40 verses. Wait, what? All right, that's about enough of uh, Waldorf and Statler, all right? I mean, now I know how Fozzie Bear feels, right? As I was saying, in Hebrews 11, the writer covers hundreds of years in just, in just 40 verses, and, he, and it all arrives at this confluence of thought, since we are surrounded by a so great a cloud of witnesses. Wow. Have you ever thought about that? Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So, the people that we read about in the Bible, like Moses and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Rahab, they have not been reabsorbed back into the universe. They did not simply die and just disappear. No, uh, it's as Jesus says in Mark 12 that God is not a God of the dead, but He is a God of the living of the living. And so our reason, our basis for hope in this life, in the face of death, in the moment of our mortality, is that God is the God of the living. And I know right now that this sounds like an Easter sermon, but we're getting to Christmas. But I want you to know, church, first and foremost, that the Jesus Christ that we proclaim and praise and we are trying to become like, He is our living hope. He's our living hope. And this makes such a difference for us in the struggles and the challenges that we face in life when we're overwhelmed by shame, when everything goes according to a plan that is not our plan, when everything seems like it's going against us, we still hold to the truth, we hold to the fact that Jesus Christ, the one who conquered death, the one who conquered the grave, Jesus Christ, the one who was risen from the dead, He is our living hope. Church, I'll say it again. Jesus Christ is our living hope. We will find no hope, no refuge, no security, no happiness, no quenching of our thirst from any other well but Jesus Christ who gives us living water. Now, what does this mean? It means several things. But I only have a little bit of time. First thing, it means that we are just a small part of a much larger story. That's what it means. The second thing is that God uses our small stories in His larger, greater story of redemption. Now, I'm using the word small to represent scope, not significance. We have small stories 
and our small stories, God can use our small stories as part of his larger story of redemption. Let me show you how this works in the life of the woman that Jesus meets in John chapter 4 at the well in Samaria. So last week we learned how it's possible to get stuck in one chapter of our story. Whether this story is a bestseller or a colossal failure, sometimes we get stuck in that chapter. And we try to, we get defined and confined by that particular chapter in our life. And Jesus is coming to this woman who was defined and confined by multiple chapters in her life, and He is showing her how even her failures are part of God's great story of redemption. Doesn't that sound like the kind of God who would speak goodness into our grief? The kind of God who would speak greatness into our struggle. The kind of God who is so capable, who is so powerful, that He can take any chapter of the story of our life, and He can make it work towards our good and His glory. Oh, we're going to talk about that next week. Today, let's just look at the unexpected ways that God is at work, and let's see how our stories are part of a much larger story. So what we know is that Jesus and the woman from Samaria, they are having a conversation about literal water and spiritual water. The woman just can't figure this out. The conversation is moving in so many circles. She, her brain is, is caught up trying to process that everything that Jesus is telling her because it's a conversation that she has never had before in her entire life. She has met the Messiah at the well, and He has offered her something that no one else in her life has ever offered. They are talking about physical needs, and they're talking about spiritual needs. I mean, can you imagine going to the grocery store to get a case of bottled water, and you come back with an authentic map to the legendary fountain of youth? That's what has happened for this woman. She just went to get water, and Jesus is giving her so much more. Jesus is giving her a glimpse of eternity. He is peeling back the curtain to let her see the great, glorious story of God and how her life fits within. And so as she processes this idea of perpetual water, she says in verse 12, she she goes back to what she knows. And so as verse 12, she says to Jesus, are you greater than our father Jacob? He's the one who gave us this well, and from it himself did his sons and his livestock drink. Oh man, this fascinates me. It absolutely fascinates me that this is her response to Jesus, are you greater than the one who gave us this well? She's talking to the one who made the water. And I so love what Jesus does because her question of Jesus and the the subsequent statement, do you know what she's doing? She's taking us back a few years in time. And it shows us several things. It shows us that that this encounter with Jesus and the one from Samaria, it's part of a much larger story. This is just the middle part of a story. 
It shows us that Jesus is inviting her to be part of a greater and larger story. It's an invitation to consider the unexpected ways in which God is at work. Okay, here we go, quick. In Genesis 33, a man by the name of Jacob arrives in the city of Shechem, which is a piece of land in Canaan. He purchases a piece of land in Shechem where the well is located, and he he wills this to his family, and it's passed from family to family to family to family to family. And 1,800 years later, Jesus meets this woman at that spot, at that very spot. 1,800-something years ago, Jacob made all these decisions, and it was passed through to his family, to his, and now they're meeting at this spot. And Jesus comes to this spot. He chooses to travel this route. He comes to this spot, and he meets a woman who is dwelling in the shadow of shame. He meets a woman who, with five failed marriages, experiences the loneliness and the isolation of estrangement. And when she meets Jesus, in the course of conversation, he offers her something that no lover or husband could ever offer her. Jesus is offering her that her failure can be part of a greater story of redemption. When Jesus meets the woman at the well, when he is offering her living water, oh, listen to what he's offering her. He's offering her hope in her estrangement. He's offering her support in a difficult situation. He's offering her a release from shame through forgiving grace. And He's offering her an opportunity for authenticity. I don't know, maybe you're the kind of person that talks about this kind of stuff at the grocery store, but the conversation they're involved with is a deep, deep, painful conversation. And Jesus, in offering her this, is offering her an opportunity for this not to be the final chapter of her story. See, we are just a small part in a larger story of redemption. And God uses our small stories as part of His larger story of redemption. If we could only see If we could only see how God has used every part of our story right now for His future story that He is writing. If we could only see that the decisions that we are making to bring Him glory and honor, that God has a plan to use that as a benefit in someone else's life. If we could only see the dumb decisions we're making right now. That they are not a representative of us as a failure. They are representative of God who is going to do so many good and glorious and wonderful things even in our struggles. This is why the Christmas story is so meaningful. It really is. Because God had always planned for the good news of salvation to be declared through Jesus as a light to all nations. To all people. Not just one people, not just one nation. That God's great story of redemption, that Jesus has been prepared as a light of salvation for all people. God has been writing this story over and over and over again in some famous failures throughout history. So you'll notice the astonishing and astounding declaration that the woman makes to Jesus. In verse 25, when she says, 
I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. The Samaritans believed, and they, they were not looking for a Messiah. The Samaritans were looking for a Tahib, a Tahib, the one who would come and reveal all things to them. When you meet Jesus... She is showing deference to Jesus as a Jewish man by using the word Messiah instead of Tahib. I mean, it's so important. And if we just had a camera there, and if we could see that camera just zoom in on the face of Jesus so that we could see the look on His face when He says, I who speak to you am He. You talk about a big reveal. I mean, move that bus! Do you know that it is a rare moment in Scripture when Jesus directly acknowledges that He is the Messiah. It's a rare moment. I mean, there, there are allusions. There are, you know, who do you think I am? What are people saying about? There are these things swirling around today. This Scripture is fulfilled when you're hearing, but there are only two times where Jesus directly says, yeah, I'm the Messiah. Oh, so don't miss this that the first time Jesus reveals this is to a Samaritan woman at the well. And you know what happens? <laughs> she becomes the first missionary to Samaria. She does. She becomes the first evangelist to Samaria. She sees now that even the failed parts of her life can be part of the greater story of God. She's been given escape from estrangement. She's been given support in the difficult situation. She's been given freedom of her shame through forgiving grace, and she's been given a chance for authenticity. And she runs back to the city, and she issues the same invitation that Jesus issues to His followers one after another, after another, after another. She says, Come and see. Come and see. And in a strange turn, in a strange twist of events, the Bible tells us that Jesus spends two days there teaching and being with this village in Samaria. Oh, man, this is a fantastic chapter in the story of redemption, but it's just one small chapter. Okay, I know i got to go quicker now. In Acts 8, there's a man by the name of Saul who, at the behest of the religious leaders, launches a persecution against the church. And Stephen, one of the first ministry leaders that we read about in Acts chapter 6, he is actually executed. He's martyred. And this causes the entire church, except for the apostles, the believers, to begin to scatter all throughout the region. And on that day, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Gary, go ahead and put it up on the screen. Look at where the believers scatter. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, they scatter to Judea and Samaria. And so there's this other guy, his name is Philip, he's also a ministry leader, and he goes to Samaria, 
and he preaches in Samaria. And in Acts 8, 6, we read, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Now, if you skip down to verse 25, it's absolutely fantastic. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. I want you to consider that the reason that Philip's work in Samaria was so successful was because someone had already been planting the seed. The woman from Samaria had been testifying about Jesus and telling people about Jesus. And so Philip comes to a place that is open and receptive. It's a fantastic story in the story of redemption, but it's just one chapter. Oh, the Bible tells us that what the next thing is that happened is that, is that this Holy Spirit takes Philip and he puts them in the path of an Ethiopian official. And this person is on his way back from Jerusalem and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And as he's reading from the prophet Isaiah, he doesn't understand what he's reading and the Holy Spirit puts them together. And, and, and Philip begins to explain to him that the words of Isaiah are about Jesus. And, they, and this is this great story. That, uh, he comes to faith, and the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized, and he goes back to his city. And as far as the Bible is concerned, we never hear from him again. A couple of years ago, there was a professor at Lipscomb University by the name of J.P. Conway. He teaches Bible there. And he's telling the story about the Ethiopian eunuch from Acts chapter 8. And he says, afterwards, a girl came up to me in my class and said, that's my story. He says, what do you mean that's my story? She says, I'm from Ethiopia. And I grew up in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. And we trace our roots back to Philip speaking to the Ethiopian official who goes back home and starts this movement. Don't you see? Our stories are just small stories, small in scope, not significance, of a much larger story of redemption. So, you know, one day, in this great cloud of witnesses, in the reunion of the redeemed. What an amazing reunion this is going to be. We're going to see among these cloud of witnesses people from Samaria, people from Ethiopia, people from China, people from Cuba, from Haiti, from Uganda, from Mexico, and from Springfield. This is because we are just a small part of the story of redemption. And glory be to God who uses our small stories in such a glorious way as part of His greater story of redemption. This may not feel much like a Christmas message, but it really is if you think about it this way. The Christmas story is just a small story as part of a much larger story of redemption. The Christmas story is a small story in scope, but it shows us how God uses small stories for greater things. I mean, each one of us individually and each one of us collectively, we can be part of God's larger story. I mean, just think about an unknown, uneducated teenage girl from Nazareth who bears the promise of the prophetic words, for unto us a child is born. Unto 
us. Us. As Myron said, our job as a people, our job as a church is to be the incarnation of Jesus Christ in the city of Springfield. That's what our job is. Our job as a people is to be the incarnation of Christ so that people can experience Him as their living hope, as we experience Him as our living hope. God doesn't need us to accomplish His purpose. He doesn't. But He invites us to be part of it. And when He invites us to be part of it, do you know what happens? He needs us to be part of His story of redemption. He needs us to be living in His story, proclaiming His story, that Jesus is the light of the world, the light of the world, the living hope for all people. The Christ who meets us in our moment of joy, in our moment of weakness, in our struggle, in our thrill of hope, and in our anguish of disappointment. This, this is Christ the King, whom angels guard and shepherds sing. Hail, hail, the Word made flesh, the babe, the Son of Mary. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that You are so bigger than our disappointment. I thank You that You are, that Your your strength is so greater. It's such much greater than our struggle. That even in the failures and the disappointments of our life, You, You do what only You can do. And so, Father, I pray that even right now that the Holy Spirit, as it works in our hearts, would would show us that by having faith in Jesus, that faith in Jesus unites our story to your story. So that one day, all will be made right, all will be made new, all will be restored. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our living hope. Amen. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing another song together. And if this morning you would